great thing about endorphins as well is when you're doing this with a partner, when you're doing this with other people, the endorphin levels rise. Endorphin and, and release is higher if you're higher. doing with other people than if you're doing If you're doing things together, yes. So I'm really excited to be here today with Daryl Edwards, who is also known as the Fitness Explorer. He's the founder of Primal Play and the best-selling author of Animal Moves. Great to have you on the show, Daryl. How are you? I'm great, thank you. It's been, a, it's been a real pleasure to be here today, Angela. It's great to have you on. I have so many things here that I want to quiz you on, um, but let's kick off. I know that your passion is, you've pretty much dedicated your life to teaching people to fall in love with movement again. Um, and I watched your TED Talk, which is absolutely brilliant. I highly recommend everyone listening goes and checks that out. Um, but I know that you're conscious to distinguish between exercise and movement. And can you explain the differences between that, please? Yeah, so, I mean, exercise is basically a modern construct developed to supplement the lack of physical activity we'd, we get in our day-to-day -day lives. Mm -hmm. So if you think about, you know, 2,000 years ago, there was no need to exercise because you would tend to be active as you went about your day to hunt and gather foods, to farm foods. Most labor would be significantly manually labor intensive. Mm -hmm. So physical activity was just what we did when we were awake, pretty, pretty much. Uh, locomotion required walking great distances, you know? Yeah. So, so, so on that basis, arguably exercise was just left to the preserve of athletes and people who were training to become great at particular recreational activity. In the 21st century, where the majority of us are very sedentary, we live sedentary lives, we, we you know, have locomotion in cars and public transport, which we're usually sitting once again. We go to work, we usually sit down, we come back home, we're sitting. So exercise has become far more important as a focal point, as a way for us to get that energy exertion done in a given time frame, with sets and reps and by going to the gym. And you know, there's a whole movement built around conventional fitness. Mm -hmm. So outside of that and where I place movement and why I believe movement is far more important, Movement is me thinking about what my body does throughout the day. And that can be as simple as me standing, which I am now uh, on this podcast and getting more movement in than if I was sitting, actually utilizing some of my larger muscles to stand and support myself, to me walking more, for me taking the stairs more, for me um, interacting with my environment far more than I normally would with movement. And so throughout my day, rather than getting my 30 minutes in or my hour gym session three times a week, I'm actually getting lots of movement at opportunistic points throughout the day and a, a greater variety of movement. And the research tells us that even if you're exercising for 60 minutes per day, if you're sitting for six hours a day, that undermines that 60 minutes of physical mm -hmm. activity or, or, or gym work or exercise work. So we need to be doing quite a lot just to disrupt sedentary time. And that's the real danger of people saying, oh, I exercise, I do more than enough exercise. 
uh, and they're not realizing that actually the sedentary time is what's the most dangerous aspect of the modern lifestyle when it comes to physical inactivity is the amount of time we spend sitting, the amount of time we spend idle, the amount of time that our metabolism is pretty much flatlined. Mm-hmm. Um, and the dangers of that, the inf- you know, the kind of inflammatory response that occurs, the impact and the, the increase in the disease risk that occurs, breaking up sedentary time more frequently has more sign- significant benefits. So I tend to focus on movement. I describe myself as a movement coach mm-hmm. because I want to teach people not only to have more fun and to fall in love with movement again, but also to move in a way which is aligned to our physiology, which is aligned to our health, aligned to our expectations. Our body expects us to move in a particular way because not only is it healthful, but it's also productive. So there's usually an outcome based on the way that we move. Um, So in the 21st century where there's a lot of focus on what we eat and the, 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 the supplements we can take and the things that we can do to optimize and enhance our well-being but there's a significant fundamental piece of our ourselves as organisms which relies and thrives on movement so if you think about it logically how are we obtaining really healthy food sources and avoiding and avoiding food sources that are detrimental that was by movement mm. you know there was no there was no click a button and you know food being delivered food being actually pre-prepared and even cooked for you that you just need to heat up and it's done. No, somebody, usually a tribe of people, a collective would have to go out and source that food. Once it was sourced, if you were fortunate enough to source it, then you had to spend a lot of time preparing it. <laughs> you know, yeah. That was labor intensive. Yeah. Then, you would have, then you would enjoy it. And then you'd probably celebrate the fact that you were successful in having some really good food. You know, so even the celebration required movement. You know, the dancing, the singing that came about after having a, a feast. So movement is far more pivotal and important than many of us give, give uh, you know, the credit it deserves is severely lacking in, in many respects. Um, so that's why I focus much more on movement because it, it, it shows, it spots like the, you know, highlights the fact that more movement is important. Exercise is just one small part of that. Training is an even smaller part of that. Most of us need to move more. Most of us don't need to train. Most of us don't even need to exercise. But if you're limited for time, then obviously exercise is, uh, is much better than just, being, than just being sedentary and doing nothing. But ideally, you want to be exercising plus moving more throughout your day at different intensities, at different activities. Mm-hmm exploring what your body can do and what you're capable of and having fun doing it so you're more likely to want to continue doing it yeah there's a few so i mean there's a few things there actually that i want to dig a little bit deeper on Mm -hmm. um i think i think firstly like many people maybe underestimate as well that when you do set up your day and i think the environment is key and maybe even having reminders to move um but actually you get that time back very very quickly in terms of productivity um, and mental focus and awareness because if you're yes. feeling tired if you actually get up um, and I use things like you know doorway triggers so I'll have a pull-up bar um, that I might go and do some pull-ups or I'll have a kettlebell by my desk so if I have been sitting then I might do some swings or but you um, 
have this knack of actually making it very, very fun. Um, and mm. I saw you in the TED Talk, for example, with the kids. No surprise that it was the kids that got up. Um, but you have this knack of making it a really fun thing to, de- to do. Can you kind of elaborate on, let's look at the types of things people can do, because not everybody, obviously, as you say, can live their lifestyle um, in a scenario where they don't always sit. We can have standing workstations and things like that um, to help. Um, but some people are, you know, more sedentary. What can they do during their day to build in these movement snacks? I think you call them. Um, mm. and, and what are the types of movement and activities that they can do? So you really want to be thinking about any opportunity I can avoid sitting, I'm going to take advantage of. Mm-hmm. So drink more water. So you spend more time going to having toilet breaks. So that's going to be getting you walking more. Yes. Um, go even better. Don't use the toilet on your floor. Take a few flights of stairs when you go to the toilet. So already you're going to be going to the toilet a few times a day because you're drinking more water. You're moving more, taking flights of stairs. Great. Uh, when you're answering the phone, you don't have to be sitting down for that. Why not stand and take the call? Um, so that's a way to break up sitting time. In during meetings, why not have walking meetings? you know take a walk at lunchtime and, and discuss you know your 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 work projects at that at that time so i, I think there there isn't it isn't just about um carving out certain time frames throughout your day to do some physical activity to do some movement to do some exercise it's about integrating um your day with movement mm-hmm. and so you're not actually taking up any more time you're not actually, you know, you're not actually using, you're using that time more efficiently. So if I'm taking a phone call for 10 minutes, me standing is not going to affect um, the, the amount of time it takes for me to handle this call. You're probably actually going to be more efficient when mm-hmm. you are standing, taking a phone call, actually. Um, so, yeah, there's, there are just very simple ways of you doing more movement. Um, I've actually created a, a deck of fitness cards, one, with, one of which is, an, is office-based. So just giving you some ideas of things you can do at your desk, which doesn't require a yoga mat um, <laughs> and which doesn't make you out to be, you know, to be the person in the office who's doing something strange at their desk. You know, what's, what's that strange pose that person's doing while they're at their desk? But there are, there are really simple ways you can utilize your environment in many ways to get a bit of a cardio workout to get a bit of resistance workout there were so many things you can do it's just really tapping into your imagination or having some ideas that you can that you can build on and incredibly those micro workouts those micro um movement snacks accumulate Mm. so you do one minute here a couple of minutes there before you know it by the end of the day you've done 30 minutes you've already satisfied your get your 30 minutes a day in a, a physical activity um, without more of a time commitment. Think about active commuting. You know, if you do have an opportunity to walk to work, you know, sometimes walk to work. If you have an opportunity to take public transport, maybe you, you know, miss a stop or two and, and walk that distance. Again, that will take more time, arguably, but that, that's a case of prioritization. And the, the knock-on effects, the benefits, the health benefits and the productivity benefits of doing so will far outweigh that additional time time commitment um yeah so you know so i think it's just a case of you deciding rather than me just being idle for the sake of it 
And when I say being idle, I can think about the amount of times I've watched the kettle boil. I'm literally just watching the kettle boil for two or three minutes to make a cup of tea. Like what's, what's that about? Or I'm watching it. And, and let's say nowadays, of course, you've got devices you can browse. Why? I could be doing some movement during that time, doing some squats, bear crawling, I mean, whatever, two or three minutes, get yourself, get out of breath, ding, tea's ready. Yeah. Job done. Well, right. I think even 60 seconds of um, movement, like body weight squats, as you say, I forget how many times the studies show, but it improves your insulin sensitivity. So um, yeah, imme- immediately. Yeah. It's yeah going for a walk, going for a walk after your meal. Mm. So lots of evidence of like postprandial glucose dropping. So your blood glucose level obviously rises after eating, but you become physically active. And so the old wives tale would be go for a walk after your meal, you know, not, mm. not too brisk. It's a light, gentle walk. It helps with digestion uh, and it also improves glucose response. And, and just talking about a bit of the science for, for a moment, not many people are aware that as well as an insulin activated response to bring down blood glucose, there's a, there's a non-insulin mediated glucose transporter uh, which is activated by exercise. So there's a mechanism where you eat, blood glucose rises, insulin is created, brings blood sugar levels down, but there's also an exercise activation, which will also bring glucose down, which doesn't need insulin. Interesting. So, so, so you're not so, wearing out your insulin either in terms so of yes, exactly. pancreas. Yeah. So, so one, you become more insulin sensitive. So in other words, you, you, you need less insulin to bring gl- blood glucose down but also you have a mechanism which bypasses insulin. And, and this, this for me is one of the most fan, fascinating areas of, of this science, whereby we're always constantly told kind of avoid foods that spike insulin, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, hold on a second. There is nature has given us another way of managing this. Mm. And so in an ever more sedentary lifestyle, it's no wonder many of us are having these issues of, of pre-diabetes and insulin resistance because one of the primary mechanisms to kind of manage that and control that is through physical activities, through muscle contraction. Um, and the muscles are the prime reservoir mm. of blood glucose. You know, 75, 80% of your body, body's demand for blood glucose is actually muscle, muscle tissue. So if you're sedentary, muscle doesn't need any more energy doesn't need any more fuel so that gives the body reason to just circulate blood around waiting for something to happen yeah Uh, yeah, so again lots of research significant amounts on the benefits of normal you know healthy individuals with good metabolic you know no metabolic issues to pre-diabetics to those who are insulin resistant or type 2 diabetic who all benefit from activity post-meal you know, I mean, imagine from healthy individuals to those who have real metabolic uh, issues and metabolic syndrome all benefit from activity post eating, um, mm-hmm. post food, but also just throughout the day, if you need to be managing your blood glucose or you're concerned about that, one of the best things you can do is, is exercise and physical activity. Another study is on, I've seen is on metformin, which is the primary intervention for controlling blood glucose pharmaceutically, I mean, um, and exercise. 
And so exercise basically outperforms metformin uh, as an intervention in studies. So, mm. so yeah, so the, the science around movement and physical activity interests me a great deal. And I spend a lot of time talking about this and trying to understand this because I want to be, I want to have an evidence basis whereby I can inform myself and also my clients and my audience about the benefits of exercise, which aren't the usual kind of, oh yeah, it makes you feel good. It makes you look good. It makes you, you know, it, it prevents, you know, it's, it can be useful for prevention of disease. Well, why? So I wanted to know, well, why? What does it actually do at the biological level, at the physiological level? Um, what are the mechanics as mm. to why this, this works? Um, and once you, once you dive into that and you see how powerful uh, a kind of an antidote um, this is to chronic lifestyle disease, you're like, oh my goodness, we need to be doing more of this and we need to be better informed about the benefits of this. So that's why I talk about movement as medicine uh, as well in, a, in, a, in, in, many, in many ways. Um, and it's probably the best polypill we have available to us, actually. Yeah, I love that movement is medicine. I think as well, I always think movement is probably the most fundamental thing you can do, the best thing for your health, because the other things your body is going to make you do anyway, right? So you're only going to get so thirsty before your body will make you or your mind will make you drink a glass of water. You'll only get so hungry until you reach for food. And, you know, as a lawyer, when I was working as a, a corporate lawyer and we were staying up night after night, eventually, I mean, I remember falling asleep uh, while talking to somebody. I was so <laughs> sleep deprived. You know, your mind will force you to sleep, but nothing yeah. is going to force you to exercise and to move or to move, let's say, um, yes. unless you do it. And I think that is probably the single biggest proactive step that people need to take because it's a massive game changer as you say um, yes I, I was looking at some of the you know you've put out so much video content that people can access and i'll link to all of this afterwards but even just your risk of um you know heart attack goes down or even if you have a heart attack i, I was reading something that you mentioned uh, it was an old lancet study about bus conductors and how you're a third mm. less likely to have a heart attack but you're two times more likely to survive it even if you do and this is based on the difference between somebody who's moving the bus conductor, collecting the tickets and the bus driver who is just sitting all day. Yes. 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 That's, I mean, and again, the, 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 the focus in the scientific literature used to be about exercise because it's good for your health exercise mm -hmm. because it's a good preventative mechanism. Now science realizes that actually it's not just good for prevention, but also therapy as well. Mm. So 20 years ago, if you had a heart attack, you'd be told rest, don't move, don't do anything that's going to stress your heart because you might have a heart attack. Now you, you are told you need rehabilitation, physical re uh, rehabilitation as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. Like you need to be moving, you need to be exercising as quickly as possible, obviously in a controlled way, but the benefits to somebody who's a heart attack um, survivor is better for them to be become more active, to actually strengthen the heart. And it's surprising, again, when you think about the importance of nutrition in, say, cardiovascular disease risk and, and health, most of that talk is about, you know, clogging up the arteries, mm. is about atherosclerosis, is about inflammation. You know, that's the main focus. And it's like, hold on, whoa, whoa, hold on a second. The heart is predominantly a pump, i.e. muscle mm. that, 
that's what it did from the first moment it was beating. It was a muscle working and doing its job. So like any muscle, it has to be, you know, working efficiently. If it's overstressed, i.e. it's working harder than it should when it's not supposed to be, those are, those are contributory factors to cardiovascular disease. You know, the, the, the part of the heart muscle dies as a result of that. That's the, that's the implication of dealing with something, something like that. So the science has basically taken us from where people like Hippocrates 3,000 years ago would talk about the benefits of exercise and movement, would prescribe exercise to his patients. That's what doctors used to do 3,000 years ago. You know, you get a script with do blah, 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 blah. Do 10 push-ups, a few squats, and <laughs> such and such for your condition. Come back and let's review it. Um, so now science kind of backing that up and saying, yes, exercise is important, not just for prevention, but also for therapy and for conditions where you would least expect it. So even things like osteoarthritis, you know, you're inflamed, you've got joint pain. If you, you feel as if you move, it's gonna, you're only going to make things worse. The literature tells us actually the more you exercise, the more beneficial it is for those dealing with the pain of, of osteoarthritis. Mm. It actually reduces inflammation rather than promotes it. So it, again, fascinating for me looking at this research and realizing it is core and very um, important for health. And as you mentioned, a really good point, all those other lifestyle pillars you kind of get prompts that you should be, you know, like, oh, I'm hungry, I need to eat. Mm. Or, you know, I need to sleep because I just really can't fight this anymore. But with exercise and physical activity, our body is constantly telling us to conserve energy, actually. You know, you don't know when the next meal is coming from, so mm. relax, don't do much, conserve energy, don't burn energy unnecessarily. And when physical activity becomes something that you choose to do is usually when those me needs are satisfied. So you've slept, you've got some food, you feel good about yourself. Hey, let's dance. Hey, let's celebrate. Hey, let's have some fun. Let's go out and play. Let's, you know, that's when the body will choose to do those activities because everything else is, is pretty good. But if you don't satisfy those requirements and you're like, you're conserving energy, it can be a downward spiral. And that's why mental health is also a part of this mechanism of being physically inactive. The more inactive you are, you don't feel, you don't tend to feel as good about yourself and you're more likely to be depressed. You're more likely to have problems with anxiety. You're more likely to have mental health disorders because of that. And exercise is often used as a way of treating depression, of, of improving mood. Um, so all of those feel good hormones, are linked very intricately with physical activity. Serotonin, you know, is activated through exercise, especially at the beginning of the day. Sunlight, it's daytime. Yeah, exactly. You know, get outside as you do it if you get can. Get outside, mm. move, um, you know, endorphins, natural pain, pain mm. uh, relief. Um, it's a pleasure. It gives you pleasure. So we get endorphin rushes after a run or after exercise. Um, dopamine, that kind of risk-reward hormone, 
So again, you know, you do something pretty risky like hunting or like playing certain games. Let's climb that tree. I wonder if we can get to the top. I wonder if we can do that and get down safely. So you get this dopamine hit, which is a natural one, not one that you can get just by swiping a screen. Mm. So, so, you know, there's, there's all these hormones that are part of the mechanism of physical activity being one way of activating those. And so for many of us who are very sedentary, it's no wonder we feel we're not feeling as good as we can. And mm. we're looking at other ways of cheap ways of getting our dopamine response. Um, and our kids now are not spending as much time outdoors or, or playing traditional games. And so they're looking for these kind of quick wins. And we, we see the consequences when it comes to mental health, right? And especially in children, you know, Oh, more sure. suicide than ever before, self-harm, more bullying, you know, online bullying and, and so on. So we have to pay attention to this one biological cue that we are being told by our DNA to settle down. <laughs> like, so we're being told all the time, don't move, don't move unless you have to, don't move unless everything else is satisfied so that you can just go crazy and celebrate, you know, and have reward yourself for satisfying all of those requirements um so yeah it, it's yeah. it's it's a difficult sell in my opinion because of that uh, it's a difficult sell you because doing it, yeah. you start enjoying it and you love it, yes. it you feel so good on it um and i think as you as you say in terms of movement it doesn't even have to be hard activity all of the time Yes, you need to, you know, we would have had to sprint ancestrally a few times, mm. right? That, those times would have come up and you need to develop that. And I think Mark Sisson makes a very good point, you know, lift heavy things occasionally, run mm. fast occasionally. Um, but it's the overall movement, isn't it? And even like, you know, the feeling I get this morning, I kind of came downstairs and just got, because it's dark, you know, normally when it's a bit lighter, I'd go mm. out for a run early, but just that fasted movement, I just actually sat on the, on my Watt bike at home and did gentle cycling while I was actually listening to your TED talk um, <laughs> and, and watching that. And I just felt amazing after that when I had a shower, yeah. you know, what a great way to start the day. Um, yes. Yeah, exactly. We, we do feel, we do feel good. And, and, but you know, it's not, unfortunately, and I talk about this in my TED talk, that experience isn't good enough to, for us to maintain long-term compliance with physical activity interventions. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's, that, that's the reality. Pretty much anyone who's exercised, anyone who's played as a kid, you can ask them the question, doesn't it feel great? Yes, didn't you feel great afterwards? Yes, 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 yes. It's such a wonderful feeling. So why aren't you doing it more often? Oh, you know, you know there's all these reasons why we don't do it. Yeah. There's all these reasons sure. why you don't get on that bike in the morning. You know, or you decide to watch a box set or you do, you do something else, anything else but exercise. And so that's another reason why I don't like the word exercise is because there's so much negative association with that word. Um, um, the language we use, like no pain, no gain. And, you know, you've got, just got to work hard, punish yourself, push yourself, like have a grimace on your face to show the world that you're working hard do this for charity because you you know, that's the only way you're going to do this. If you've got to raise money for, for those who are less fortunate than you are, you know, like really that's, is that the only way we can, we can do this is by creating an environment that 
forces us to do something that we don't really want to do. And that's part of the problem with exercise. That's part of the problem that I'm trying to, you know, navigate through and say, hey, there is an alternative way. You don't have to be feeling bad about yourself in order to do this. You don't have to rely on the fact that at one period in my life, I felt great when I did this. Actually, no, no. You can feel good immediately. Like, just think of ways of moving more and your life will definitely feel better because of it. Yeah, change and the process is, is the process is what's important, not just the outcome. So yeah, I, I, I do think it's a difficult sell because, our, because of our DNA again. We're wired for convenience. We, we, we're constantly thinking of ways of short-circuiting. <laughs> you know, how can I get there quicker? How can I avoid getting there? How can I just stay in this position and get everything done for me? That's what our ingenuity is constantly thinking about. You know, you don't see much technology being devised to make things more complicated for us, right? It tends to be to make things easier for us, to save time, to save physical labor, actually, is probably mm -hmm. the biggest technological driver. You know, um, the wheel, the horse and cart, the car, planes, you know, tech devices, you and I not having to walk to beat the meat together. You know, we can do this remotely. That's what technology is driving us towards. You add that to the, the biological driver to conserve energy, not the best combination <laughs> uh, for, our, for, for many aspects of our health. So, um, so yeah, so that, that really kind of encompasses why I believe movement is medicine. Some of the things that we can do to make it a little bit easier for ourselves, I avoid convenience. Yeah, that's a big one. one of the things, yeah, that's one of the things Maybe. we can certainly do take the more difficult path um, that isn't going to be causing too many, too many issues. Think about relating in relation to our children. Think about the childhood we had, or many of us had as children in comparison to what children have now. And arguably there's a, there's a huge disconnect, you know, the free roaming, free ranging childhood I had in comparison to what many kids have now, which is like constant supervision, um, you know, not much time outside. I mentioned in my TED talk, for example, that 75% of, of UK children have less time outside than prison inmates. So 75% of UK. 75%. So what yeah. are they doing in the schools then? Because um, surely, because I know, I mean, it's different. Like one of the reasons that, um, you know, m my kids, we looked at the school we did is because mm. there is such a focus on movement and it's in, you know, kind of, acres and acres of countryside and they go outside and they do everything from, you know, rugby, football and hockey right through to climbing activities and, and swimming and everything else and climbing trees and, um, you know, doing high ropes and stuff. But mm. how can that be? You know, I know that my kids, for example, they are pushed outside in all weathers, um, apart yeah. from the sporting activities at least twice a day. Are yes. they in some schools, are the children spending their lunch play inside? I mean, it's, yeah, well, I, I think, I mean, I think that's based on... as well. I mean, it's, it's yeah. tragic. If... Yeah, there, there's, I mean, something like one in seven um, UK children have never spent any time in outdoor space. Wow. Like, not, you know, I, no, no green, no park, no, no visit to the countryside. Um, and that 75% of UK children is based on the requirement for prisoners to have an hour minimum outdoors. 
Right. So that's the, that's the problem. So many children, your children are fortunate, but many children are not given an hour a day of outdoor time. Um, and so that's the problem. Mm. And, and many children, even if they are given the option. So I've been to schools where kids are told to go outside and play, but there's always provision to do stuff indoors as well. So many kids are deciding to stay inside, you know, whether it's to do mm. homework, to do, you know, to do more academic work, to do other projects where they're not having to go outside. And now we've got a, an environment where, you know, there are more reasons to say, actually, no, it's not safe to be outside. Yes, you know? that's very, very true. Yeah. Yes. You know, the weather, whether it's because of weather, whether it's because we don't have enough people to supervise. So when I was a kid, you didn't see a teacher you didn't see an adult during playtime until it was the end of the, the bell went. Mm. And they were usually telling kids to come in because kids didn't want to go inside. You didn't see adults for the whole, all lunchtime. They were too busy in the staff room, probably having a cigarette and a cup of coffee. <laughs> right? In the days when they, you did, could... they did that back in those days. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's the way it was. Now you need to have wardens, playground wardens, people, you know, certain amount of adults to pupil ratio, so there's all there's so many reasons as to why actually today we can't quite have you outside, you know. Uh, I think fully another around. reason as well I've noticed is you know I was looking back to my own childhood. We're a bit more fearful of letting our kids out, but also the roads are busier. So like they've yes. stopped doing amazingly the cycle proficiency in schools. But then when I look around and I think with my kids, we'll go on, um, you know, mountain biking trails and round lakes and things, but actually cycling on the road, you know, I'd come home from school, I'd hop on my bike. My mum might not see me for two hours. I'd go cycling, mm. pop around, see a friend, come back. It's just that constant movement. But actually now the roads are so full of cars and yes. pollution and the concept of them, you know, is it safe? I think that's the thing. There's there are so many obstacles in the younger generation's way. Um, yes. Which is a shame. Which is a shame. But I, I think the greatest risk or, well, the greatest obstacle is um, our parents, our adults, our schools, our government policy, our council policy around what's acceptable now for children. Mm. I think that's the greater problem, actually, because you do have neighborhoods where it is safe for kids to go out. It is safe for kids to walk to school. Whereas, but the school policies will say, unless you're 12 years old, you can't walk to school unattended. Even if there's five of you walking, mm. it's not allowed. It's not permitted. That's, you know, so, so yes, there are, there are more hazards uh, um, in many respects. There is more visibility of the dangers of what can happen. There's more news around, you know, child abductions and all, all the things that we're concerned that, we're concerned about but at the same time what are we some getting? parents are concerned about even their kids playing in the back garden mm. you know if you're in the back garden i need to be in the kitchen window looking at what you're doing you know like so it's not <laughs> it isn't just about where we're not aware of what our kids are doing because they're miles away from home and we're concerned about that it's it there is this over supervision you know i'm in the park mm. with my kids i have to be a few meters away from them to see what they're up to so even in those situations, when I was a kid, my parents didn't go to the park. I mean, it was rare. I think my dad came to the park with, with me as a kid when he was teaching me how to ride a bike when I was about five years old. Apart from that, didn't see my dad in the park. 
<laughs> you know, like yeah. adults, adults weren't really in the park with their kids when I was a kid. That, that mm. just didn't, it just didn't happen. You were with other kids, different ages, you know, you learned from other kids, you learned from your peers, you, you managed risk, you had, you managed conflict without adults being around to, to make things better for you. You know, so there, there were all these life lessons um, and emotional development and emotional intelligence that occurred by your own personal development with your peers. Mm -hmm. And I think this is part of the problem of adults stepping in all the time. There's a part of childhood play which can only be, you can only invest in when adults aren't around. And what I mean about, by that is, if you cast your mind back to your childhood, the most fun elements of childhood play would tend to be ones that involve some risk. Mm. So let's explore. Let's go to an area we've never been to before. Let's try climbing that tree. Let's try a piggyback carry. Let's try, let's ride for miles and have no idea how to get back. Let's, 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 let's. let's. So all of these things let's that we were, yeah. yeah, build a den, yes. Yeah. yes make so sure fun. it's safe. Who's going to go inside the den after you build it? <laughs> you know, let's make sure it's not going to collapse on, you know. Mm. So, so there's all these lessons that you can only get in those environments that you wouldn't get if an adult was building a den for you. What have you really learned? You've, mm. you've, all you've learned is how somebody else can build a den. You know, you've got to go through that process yourself. So that those life lessons, many children are now missing out on. Mm -hmm. They, they have, they're less familiar with risk, controlled risk, because they're not put in that position to actually manage that themselves. An adult does it for them. You know, they're not allowed to resolve conflict themselves because adults have to do that job. You know, we have to avoid that situation. Let's avoid conflict because it's not good. So let's step in. So, so that's the most kind of serious side of, of this in relation to a lack of physical activity for kids and, and structured sport and structured activities becoming the mainstay. And if you look at the research, I've, well, I remember once um, doing sessions, group sessions in my local park, which is my, I'd say it's my local gym, my local playground. And there's a two hour session of football, rugby, tennis, there's all these different activities that young kids from like two years, three years upwards are playing. And I remember once thinking to myself, hold on a second, those kids are queuing up for quite some time. There's lots of kids who are sitting waiting for something to happen. And within that two hour time frame, there's probably only 20 minutes of everyone doing something together. Most of the time was watching an adult saying, this is how you do this. Come on, Johnny, you, you try that. Then the next person, then the third person. And so I looked at the research. I was like, I wonder what the research says about this. And that's exactly the case. We say that our children are active because we go, oh, my child does two hours on a Saturday. They do an hour after school every single day. But when you actually add up the minutes of doing time, it's far less than the total time. So that two-hour session on a Saturday might only be 20 minutes, 30 minutes of actual physical activity, which... Mm -hmm. which that even, even that stat is worrying because mm -hmm. as parents, we have no idea. We assume, yeah, they're getting two hours of just all out exuberant play. They're just completely just, and it's like, no, no, they're not. They're being trained. They're going through drills. They're watching, they're learning. And it's in a way that which isn't necessarily a natural way to learn for them. So I could talk about it forever, but I think this is one of the greatest dangers of, 
where parents, parents do feel that they're doing the best for their children. You know, oh, there's all these opportunities for my kids that I never had as a kid. You know, there's all these extracurricular activities that I can now be involved with my kids. My parents didn't care what I did, but now my parents care. They're chaperoning me from A to B. They're getting me involved in all these activities. I've got all this kit and equipment. You know, I'm pretty good at this and they're investing in, in a coach for this area. But it's at the price of children being free roaming, free ranging, of playtime, which is unstructured. Um, and there's lots of studies comparing unstructured play to structured play and what kids get out of it. And unstructured play tends to give far more benefits uh, holistically than the technicalities of just doing something physically, if you understand what I mean. Um, and and, and that's, that's another area that I, that I talk about in Never Talks, actually, is this difference, this disconnect between, oh, yeah, my kids do stuff. Yeah, they're so active. You wouldn't believe how many activities they're doing. Um, but their social and, and emotional development and their physical development, because their physical development tends to be narrower uh, because their focusing ten, tend to focus on one or two activities. So kids now are getting far more injuries than they're used to. Uh, another classic stat is kids being admitted to hospital. Three times as many children are admitted to hospital this generation compared to last, falling out of bed than falling out of a tree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Extraordinary. I, I saw that in one of your thoughts. Extraordinary stat. Yeah. Um, is that because they are clumsy? They haven't. I mean, <laughs> well, well, I, I realize they're not clumsy. <laughs> Please as much. Yes. I see my husband broke his collarbone as a child, falling out of bed. And his father, who was a doctor, oh, didn't no. believe his father, who was a doctor, didn't believe him. He was like, Come on, stop complaining, go to school. <laughs> and it was at his aunt, who was a nurse and staying, and said, No, no, hang on, I think this is a bit more serious than we first thought. Oh dear. <laughs> but well, that's, yeah. Yeah, that, that's that skewed the stats somewhat. But but yeah, part of it is the fact that there are obviously far less children climbing trees now yeah. than a generation ago. But also there's a, a significant reduction in physical literacy. So in the ability okay. for children to be able to, to fall mm -hmm. safely, to fall yes. with control. So, so, you know, again, when I was a kid, we would we'd be jumping on the furniture, we'd be, play, we'd be wrestling on yeah, the we bed, we'd be climbing the wardrobe and jumping on. I mean, we- they... And walking on walls. Do you remember if you're walking along yeah. a, a road, you'd climb on the little mini wall and jump off the end and then balance a bit and just, it was constantly, yes. life's a playground, right? Yes, life's a yeah. playground. And, mm. and so now many parents are like, no, don't do that. Get off, get off. And again, if you think about it, most of those times you would be doing it because there weren't adults around. Yeah. Because if, if my parent was with me, most of those things I wouldn't have done. Mm. I wouldn't have been able to climb on walls. My parents would have said, what, what do you think you're doing? You know, just stay here, come here, you know. So part of that exploration, part of you finding out what your body is capable of is because you're not having the constraints of somebody saying, stop that, don't do that, don't attempt this. What do you think you're doing? Um, and, and that curiosity, that natural curiosity is dampened. And there are now children where you say, okay, I want you to go out and play. And kids go, what do you mean? Go out and play. I, what are we going to do? How, you know, they have no yeah, initiative. They, they're too used to it being delivered through gaming consoles and things. Um, yeah, exa exactly. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so if we're serving our children, you know, children are curious, naturally curious. They model parents, adults' behavior. 
they want to attempt things themselves. They want that level of independence, actually, even as children. So if you say to them, okay, modeling my behavior is you using this, this device. This is playtime for you. Mm. Okay. This is gaming for you. That's gaming. That's what their mind forms as gaming behavior, as play behavior. Um, you don't need to use your creativity because the worlds are created for you in this technology. Don't use your imagination. It's not needed. Why, why use imagination? Look, it's all, it's all here. So because of that, children use their imagination less. They become less sedentary. They become more attached to those devices, um, far more attached than we are even as adults, you know, because they're, they're more impressionable. But it limits age. their creative brain, doesn't it? I mean, I know the other day we yeah. came back, we actually went to watch uh, Star Wars in the, is it the 4DX where the seats move and everything? And then mm. my two youngest came back and they were like, oh, mommy, mommy, we've got to have a lightsaber fight. And we didn't have any lightsabers. So one of them grabbed a broom and the other one grabbed a mop and they were having a full on lightsaber fight, shall we say. Yeah. And that's what I love about kids is if you leave them to their own devices, they just come up with stuff that is... Yes so fun you know and then they're like mommy will you fight me <laughs> and it's just yeah it's a shame isn't it when that if you if you don't let that just develop because it's there naturally right they want yes it's there naturally uh, um mm. and and we need to foster that um no, no pun intended but yeah we you know we need to kind of we need to improve give children more opportunities to just have that you know mm. we don't need to provide all these tools to to make their play times more exciting you know, they, they, it's part of us. Um, we all have this play. Actually, there are a lot of play genes known as ludic genes that we, that we have, that, okay. that, that all mammals have, actually. So it isn't just about humans. All animals have this ability to play, to, to play in a way which is unstructured, which is opportunistic. Um, you know, dogs chasing, you know, yeah. deers, yeah, play yeah. fighting. It, it happens. And so the disadvantage for humans is that we can, we can outsource play to very immersive technological devices, which removes a lot of that. You're not really as engaged as you feel you are. So even something like a board game, you know, something like a board game, you're, you know, playing chess. I'm the king. I'm the queen. You know, there's a bit of imagination there. You imagine you're on a battlefield, you, whatever it is, you know, there's, there's yeah. something which is outside of what you can see here in technology. It's all there on the screen looking very lifelike. Um, it's very immersive. I can pretend to be a football player because look, there's Lionel Messi on screen. It looks exactly like him. When I was a kid pretending to be Pele or Socrates or some other Brazilian player, football player, I, it was just what was in my mind. I've got a ball at my foot. I'm doing some, I'm doing something. I'm, oh, I'm pretending to be, you know, Kenny Daglish. Look, I've just scored a goal. Yeah. You know, so even, yeah. even that mimicking a football player, now kids can do it all on, on FIFA. And, and then nothing else matches up. That's the thing. Yes, yeah. exactly. It's very mm. difficult for real life to match up with kind of virtual reality. Uh, and so, Part of going back to basics is this realization. And of course, I wouldn't want to necessarily say everything, that, everything was great back then, but, but certain aspects of, of our lifestyles, especially in terms of children, certainly were. Uh, and, and when kids are given that opportunity, they gravitate towards it and they're very happy, uh, obviously very happy doing so. Um, 
And as adults, us recognizing we all have this inner child within us, and there are innocent ways of reclaiming that, and there are ways that we can become more playful, and there can be ways that we can see the world as children do. So I do see my local park as my playground. I do see you know, the environment as many opportunities for me to play more, for me to walk on railings. I do walk on railings, and I do try balancing, and I do try climbing trees every now and again, and I do piggyback carries, and I do fireman carries, and I'm constantly trying to explore what my body's capable of. And, and the older I get, the more fascinating it is for me because I'm trying to expand what I'm doing and, and doing stuff I probably lasted when I was a kid or maybe did when I thought I was in my prime, but I, I definitely wasn't because <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't do much physically. So that for me is, is the exciting part of this as an adult. It yeah. isn't just about kids. It's about how I can access my inner child and thinking of a big cat, for example, big cats will play very similar games to when they were cubs. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't just say, you know what, I'm too old. I'm just going to sit under this tree and not do anything now because I'm an adult cat. <laughs> they will still chase. They will still play fight. They will still play these games that make them feel great. Yeah. Uh, and, and I suppose that's what I believe adult uh, play should be, should be like, you know, trying to recreate great They're great for that because i noticed yeah. that we have a couple of dogs a labrador and a and a small dog and i love playing a tug of war with my lap you know so mm. do my kids and and playing a game where you know they'll hide from the little dog and she chases them around the house um and it's that fun factor but how can we get um how can we help people to introduce this okay everyone's got really busy lives often people have yeah. got kids you know they're working 40 50 hours a week what are your best tips in terms of if we, if we talk about them in maybe separate categories, because I know sometimes it overlaps in terms of what you can do as a family, but mm. for the busy working adult, how can they bring this? Because in terms of this, these ancestral, these sort of animal moves, you know, they, they tick all the boxes for me. They, you know, they give you flexibility, mobility, there's strength there. You're building muscular endurance. You're building a healthy mm. heart. You're ticking all the boxes while having fun. How mm. can people actually introduce this in a way that keeps them accountable? Because as you say, one experience of it being fun is never going to be enough to hold you accountable tomorrow. Yeah. What are your best tips for that? Um, well, firstly, I would say download my free ebook okay. um, on the importance of play. So I have an ebook called The Importance of Play um, on primalplay.com. I will link to this. And, and so that gives you some research, some ideas around how you can become more playful. Okay. And by becoming more playful, you become more creative. By being more creative, it, give, it enables you to think of more ideas to have more movement in your life. That's the first step, I would say, changing your mindset. Mm-hmm. The, the second is I have lots of activities, again, in my website that are fun, playful, are really engaging both mind and body that you can do with kids or, or, or you know, with your partner or by yourself, which, which kind of enables this spirit of having fun with movement, of falling in love with movement, of laughing through movement. So those would be, I would say, the starting point. Have that experience. And when you, when you, when you experience that feeling of feeling good at the beginning of the activity, so this is the problem with exercise. 
most people feel great with exercise at the end. Yeah. The endorphin rush is at the end. The end of that spinning class, whoo, I feel great now that it's over. With play, you tend to feel good immediately. Mm. Like seconds in, you're mm. like, oh my goodness, this is so much fun. Wow. You know, again, think of, think of playing as a kid. If you only felt great at the end, you wouldn't have done most of those activities as kids. Yeah. You know, like most dancing, of it is about, it? you feel great the yes. minute you put the music on and you just start moving. You just start moving. Yes. yes. You don't, you know, and of course you do have that, elate, you might have that elation at the end, but it, you pretty much have that elation all the way through, right? Mm. The social interaction, it's fun, you know, um, your effort is actually tends to be higher. So you tend to be more, you know, I don't want to say, you know, necessarily burning calories, but you'll burn more calories, but have less idea less perception of the exertion involved mm-hmm. say when you're dancing when you're having fun so you do you'll do actually far more work in that state than if you're kind of like grinding your way through it and like oh my gosh this is really punishing i just have to get there only one more minute to go you know again can you imagine doing that with a song you're dancing to a song and you're like oh my gosh it's only halfway through this song how am i going to get through to the end you know, can you imagine having that experience dancing to your favorite song? Most people will just dance any, you know, it'd be like, oh my gosh, the song's over. Why isn't it longer? You know, they recreate, you know, they created remixes and the like because the, the three and a half minute of, of seven inch singles wasn't long enough. Yeah. You know, people wanted to carry on dancing, right? You know, so they, they created extended versions. So people had these eight minutes, 12 minutes of like, that euphoria that you have from dancing. And so play is exactly the same uh, in terms of the response you get. Endorphins are released immediately with play, not at the end. So that pleasure, so endorphins are part of the pleasure hormone and they're also pain relief. So that's one of the reasons why you don't feel the exertion as much because you have this release of, of you know, an analgesic that comes from you, um, endorphins. So you can work out harder, you can play out harder, I should say. Uh, so yeah, so I would say get a bit of the theory with the importance of play and some ideas, um, find out what you enjoy. Uh, uh, I have lots of articles about having more fun with fitness, you know, th- those kind of things that, that will give you ideas of how you can make things better. A simple one at home, I would say is, and as you reference dancing, like again, when you, you're cooking a meal or you're doing, you know, you, you're boiling the kettle, put some music on. Yeah you know, dance, do, do your housework, you know, and do some dancing instead. Even sometimes I will not use the vacuum cleaner and I'll use a broom instead because your, your body gets into different positions. You know, you're kind of, you're lunging, you're reaching under, you know, you get into those kind of corners. So you can, you can almost treat some of those activities as try to make them more playful. <laughs> you know, like again, yeah. it's, it, it's, it's a difficult transition, <laughs> But sometimes I feel you have to do that for you to be able to go, you know what, I'm going to do this, but I want to have fun doing this. Why do I have to make this a chore? I can make this a bit more exciting. I can put on my favorite music. I can have some fun. I can dance around as I, as I do this. I can get those endorphins immediately. The great thing about endorphins as well is when you're doing this with a partner, when you're doing this with other people, the endorphin levels rise. Endorphin and, and release is higher if you're higher. doing this with other people than if you're doing If you're doing own. things together, yes. So, 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 um, especially when it's rhythmic. Okay. So marching, for example, is one classic, ex- classic example. The reason why soldiers, it isn't just about discipline, marching yeah. in time. Um, by marching in time, there's a, an increase in endorphin levels. 
they can walk for further if they oh, march wow. in time. If they march out of sync, they can't walk as far. Music is another addition. Mm -hmm. Adding music to exercise, again, improves the amount of work you can do. Mm -hmm. So your heart rate is lot, tends to be lower at the, at the same work rate and your perception of exertion is also lower. So you don't feel as if you're working hard, which is why gyms play a lot of kind of high energy music, yeah. you know, high BPM, because it, it helps you power your way through workouts. That's the reason they do this. There's, there's a lot of science behind why uh, that works. Um, and, and on my website, I talk about some of this psychology, actually, this psychology of motivation for movement. So music is one part of that. Dancing is another. Um, having fun, play is another. So it isn't just a fancy idea of mm. having, letting people have fun, but, but it's how our physiology responds. Our cells respond epigenetically mm. immediately to these cues of, oh, this is fun. I want to keep, keep on doing this. Yeah. You know? And, it's, and I, it's something that I want to participate in. You know, no one's forcing me to do this. I'm putting on the music that I want to, no one's watching, <laughs> you know, like I'm having some fun. That's a different mindset to then yeah. saying, do it because it's good for your health. Do it because I'm telling you to do it because it's two o'clock on a Friday afternoon and the workout program is supposed to be done at two in the afternoon. Mm. The last point is if you want some structure. So if you're the sort of person who's like, just tell me what to do, how long for, uh, I like, like the idea of working out or playing out in this way. Mm. My book, Animal Moves, Animal Moves, and my online courses um, based on the Animal Moves are, are another way of looking at this. So if you want more of a, a handheld approach, if you want a program which covers you know, your strength work, your high intensity work, your mobility, your kind of postural work, you know, your, your, your very more fun activities, how you incorporate that in a 30-day in a program, my book, Animal Moves, covers that. Brilliant. And there's a course as well that people can buy from your yes. website to do it. Yes. And is that suitable for children and adults? So for children, I actually do have, let me see if I have one in here. So as I mentioned earlier, I have something called the Animal Moves Deck. Yes. So uh, I have... A, uh, I'm actually going to try this with my. This is a junior. Kids. That's a junior version. Brilliant. So that's like seven to fourteen. Okay. I have an office-based one, which oh, is right. uh, yeah. what you can do at your desk without without changing into workout gear. Okay. Um, and then I have a. This is a large, the extra large size. This is the um, the original for adults. Brilliant. Um, and I'm currently producing one for very young children, actually. So, like a three to six. Oh, brilliant. So yeah, so I do have resources to, to, to kind of cater for, for different age groups. Uh, and the cards for me, again, it kind of just speaks to analog gaming, old school, old fashioned, no tech required. Yeah, yeah. Um, randomizing, hey, you That's do this, awesome. I'll do that. Yeah. Look Even at if me. you pick one a day, right? That would be amazing. Yeah, pick one a day, pick one an hour, you know, have it as a morning ritual with your, with your kids. Mm. So I have... I have ideas of games you can play with the cards as well. So it isn't just pick a card and do it, but how can you make it again, even more interesting for your kids? You know, Brilliant. your kids are brushing their teeth. Hey, stand like a flamingo, you know, stand on one leg as you brush your teeth and, and balance, you know, before you have that treat from the fridge, do a couple of cards first. 
you know, like yeah, yeah, I like so incentivizing them to, to move more without it being a chore, without it being something that they need to, you know, you need to get changed get first. from the deck and then like shuffle it, pick one before you do this. Before you do this. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I've tried to create a suite of, of, of kind of tools. Uh, I don't want to call them toys, but I suppose they are um, like toys that you can get more enjoyment without overthinking it. You know, I have no idea what to do. Just pick a card and do it. It tells you how long for. It has different difficulties. I was going to ask you about that, the difficulties, because like, yeah. who, obviously it's from beginner up. And I, I would say to people, be patient, right? You know, yes. kids are very patient with themselves, I've noticed. You know, like my daughter, when she was trying to learn a handstand, she just kept on practicing it against the wall until one day there's the handstand, right? Or she just throws mm. herself up in the garden, doesn't even use a wall and just, you know, bent legs at first and then eventually it comes. Adults, yes. we kind of expect, oh my God, I should be able to do this straight away. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> and, and I think some of these moves, um, well, in the book I have medium, sorry, beginners, intermediate and advanced levels. And I have a way to assess what level you should be starting at. Okay. But for most adults, regardless of what you do, what, regardless of your background in fitness most people should start at the beginner okay because the moves are more challenging than they appear to be mm -hmm. um, especially when you're trying to focus on the quality of the movement and and the function rather than you know in the, in the form and making sure everything is, is as it should and you're again you're learning about how your body should be moving in this way so i would say um so it's written for people who are really starting from the ground up and that's whether it's physically you know, because you're deconditioned and you just start slowly or whether it's because this is a new approach. And so you have to be thinking differently when you exercise. So it becomes more mindful as a result. And they're also written for those who are time constrained. So none of the workouts in the book are more than sort of 25 minutes, 30 minutes long. And there are some which are only like five minutes or so, um, 10 minutes on certain, on certain days. So it's kind of respectful of time it's assuming you don't have to be going to a gym to do it. Brilliant. So you can do it, can do it at home or outside. Even that saves time, not having to drive to the gym. Uh, so that, that's, how it was, that's how it was developed. Thinking about busy people who, who know they need to do more, but it's, it's difficult to find a time and the recognition that they don't have all the equipment. They may not even have a gym membership. You don't need any of those. If you have a gym, great. If you don't, fine. You can still do this. Um, the online program gives you a bit more help and assistance. There's a private group um, and there's more discussion around, you know, tailoring it for people who have particular issues. Oh, my, I've got an issue with my knee problems. How can I modify this move? That's where all those discussions take place. So pretty much everyone is catered for uh, with, with the animal moves kind of range. through your website, which is, and I'll link uh, to it in the show notes. Yeah, primalplay.com. Animalplay.com. Yeah. Um, or you can go to animalmovesdeck.com if you just want to. It does link it does link through to primalplay.com anyway, but it'll just take them straight through to the animal moves oh. range. Yeah. Awesome. That's amazing. I love that. Um, Thank you. I will link to all of that. Thank you so much, Darl. You have provided so much value there. And I think there's so much to do. And I'm excited. I'm actually going to get these cards myself and start doing them with my kids. So, um, oh, thank you. That'll be, yeah, they, they'll, you'll, you'll have so much fun. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Angela. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. Remember to review and subscribe. 
You can grab the show notes, the resources, and highlights of everything Angela mentioned over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. You can also snatch up plenty of other goodies, including the highly helpful Angela Recommends page, which is a list of everything she personally recommends to optimize your mind, body, and lifestyle. 